This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today we're kicking off a new message series called What's in Your Head? Um, and for some of us, maybe, you know, high school students of the 90s, it immediately brings up that old zombie song. You know, what's in you? No, nobody? Just me? Okay, that's fine. Uh, some of us, yes, yes. Others, other like early millennials like me, you get that. Um, in Gen Xers, you're too old. So, uh, but anyways, it, there's this idea of what's in your head because there's always something there, right? Even when you say nothing, there's usually something going on there. And the, the things that are in your head tend to flow out into your life. They come out in your speech, they come out in your actions, they shape your beliefs. And so what, what we're going to look at over the next four weeks is just a very simple idea from Romans chapter 12, that when Jesus comes, he comes not just to change our behaviors, but first he comes to transform our minds. And as our minds are transformed, so our lives will also be transformed. Anyone ever had a, a song stuck in their head? Maybe this week, have you had one stuck in your head? Okay. Um, how many of you have ever had a good, uplifting song stuck in your head? Anybody? Right? That's part of what we're doing on Sunday mornings. We're trying to introduce uh, some new songs to you. Of, like, it's a really good thing to have a, a Holy Spirit come type song stuck in your head and just to walk around and have that come out. How many have ever had a really bad song stuck in your head? Right? So here, here's what you know. Whatever the song is that's stuck in your head, it kind of shapes your thoughts when it's in your head, right? So you can have Holy Spirit come like a flood, like a fire, or you can have Baby Got Back. And it's going to shape the direction of your thoughts in that moment. And there are, there are other songs, obviously, right, that th those are two extremes. There's some ones in the middle that maybe, you know, uh, aren't quite as dramatic. But what we know is when that song is there, it tends to kind of trigger our minds to think along those lines. What I want to uh, put before you today to consider, and we're going to consider over the next four weeks together, is that in the same way, the thoughts that repeatedly come into your mind guide your heart, guide your life, and ultimately determine the direction of your life. Now, now, kind of a, a little disclaimer as we start, the next four weeks are not the power of positive thinking. Right? This is not going to be about, hey, change your thinking, change your life. It's not going to be if you think it, you can have it. It's not going to be just you know, write out your goal list and then think about it every day until you have it. it. It's not that at all, but instead it's rooted in this very scriptural idea that Jesus comes and first he transforms our minds and from that he transforms our lives. The gospel always works from the inside out. And so we, we kind of hit on this, if, if you've been around with us uh, for the past couple months, at the end of August in our Seek First series, we, we preached a message on seeking Jesus first in your thoughts. And the, the feedback I got after that was, was pretty consistent with what the Lord was speaking to me of, this is a big topic that we need to come back to. Because many of us, in our minds, we are fighting the same battles over and over and over again. And it's an unrelenting battle. And so, so in that message on August 29th, I shared the, the following with you. We'll hit it as a refresher today. Uh, Queen's University in Canada, they did a, a study trying to determine how many thoughts do we have in a day. So they hired a, a team of experts, including a, a cognitive neuroscientist, who figured out a way to um, kind of detect different brainwave patterns that showed when your mind was switching from one distinct thought to another. 
And so what they discovered in there was the average person has about 6,000 distinct thoughts per day. Um, now, if you, you know, you might think, oh, that's kind of on the low end. I, I think a lot more than that. You might think that's on the high end, but on average, that's, that's about where we all land. If you assume you sleep seven hours a day, what that means is you have 350 unique thoughts per hour. You have six unique thoughts per minute, or you have one unique thought every 10 seconds. And, and we know how this works. You can be fully engaged with one thing and have a totally different thought going on in the back of your mind at the same time, right? So, so we've all been here. We can all acknowledge my mind is a very active place. And because it's an active place, it means God has a plan to use that activity to lead you into his kingdom, and the enemy has a plan to use that activity to pull you out of his kingdom. And so what we're going to look at in, in several different ways over the next couple of weeks is this idea that what's in your head matters. Jesus has a plan for it, he has a purpose for it, and he's going to work it. And we'll come back to that idea of kind of songs that are stuck in your head again and again and again throughout the series to, to help us understand how exactly this happens. But this morning, we're going to start in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and just talk a little bit about what's in your head. So uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, the, the, the letter of Romans is written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. Romans 1 through 11, he gives what is probably the greatest explanation, in-depth analysis of the gospel and how it works. So in Romans 1 through 11, Paul talks to us about how we're affected by sin, how we are all sinners in need of a Savior. He talks to us about how Jesus comes as the answer, as God's provision. He talks about how we receive that salvation. He talks about the new life that we experience, the role of the Holy Spirit in that how we're putting off this old dead way of life and embracing the new life that Jesus has for us. It's just, it's deep and it's rich and it's thorough. And then Romans chapter 12, verse one, where we're picking it up this morning, it's kind of the, the hinge point of Romans where Paul moves from this is who Jesus is and this is what Jesus done, has done to this is what it means for you. So this morning, we're just gonna look at two verses, Romans chapter 12, verse one and verse two. And the, the first thing we see in verse 1, is Paul telling us, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So we'll, we'll get to this portion here in a moment, but I, first I want you to pay attention to the first part. Paul says, therefore, right, because, so, so what we're going to do, every time you read the word therefore in the scriptures, you're going to ask a very simple question. What is it there for, right? Got it? It's easy to remember. And it's always there to connect what's about to be said with what has just been said. So what Paul is telling us is, hey, because of everything I said in Romans 1 through 11, this now is what you're going to do. And then he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters. Okay, so, so I want you to kind of picture it this way. This is Paul the apostle, the church planner, the author, of, the author of 13 letters in the New Testament, the man who defended the gospel before governors and kings, the man who saw incredible miracles performed in his life, who saw churches planted, who was saved again and again and again from people who were trying to kill him for his devotion to Christ. This is one of the most influential men who's ever lived at any point of history, and he's coming to you with a personal invitation to say, I would like to tell you something. But he's not just telling you, he's urging you. Right? So, so everybody, like, it, it's pretty popular right now to want a mentor. Right? 
Is there, you know, you want a mentor in your life? You want somebody who's kind of been before you? Everybody does, right? Who doesn't want their wise little Yoda that they can call and be like, I don't know what to do, just tell me. And, and so you want that, and you seek it out, right? A college kid, you want to look at somebody, not a college kid, a college adult. You want to look at somebody uh, who's a little bit in front of you, and you want to say, I like their life, and so I'm going to ask them to mentor me. Uh, as, a, as a young professional, maybe it's somebody in your field, and you say, hey, they, they seem to really have this. I'm going to see if they'll go to lunch or have coffee with me. I want to learn from them. As a parent of young kids, you're looking at somebody whose kids are older and aren't in jail, and you're like, I, they must be doing something right. I, I think I'll try to learn from them. If you see an older couple who has a good marriage and you're a younger married couple, you might ask them if they can spend time with you. Well, what Paul is doing here is he's basically giving us the offer of, I want to be your mentor. I want to be your life coach. Whatever phrase you want to attach to it, I just want you to sit up and listen. And so he says, listen, brothers and sisters, I, I want to urge you. He's pleading with you. He's longing for you. He's trying to compel you to do and pay attention to what he's about to say. And so it's Paul's invitation to you and I today to say, if you want to have a transformed mind, if you want Jesus to renew you from the inside out, then I urge you, sit up and listen to this. And what does he tell us? In view of God's mercy. Now, God's mercy, he's laid it out in Romans 1 through 11. God's mercy is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the, the, the personification of the mercy of God. He comes, and where we deserved wrath, judgment, and separation, Jesus instead offers forgiveness, reconciliation, and new life. Where we deserve to be kicked out, he welcomes us in. This is the undeserved mercy of God being poured out on us. And so what Paul says is, in light of that mercy... Now you're going to offer your bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord, for this is your true and proper worship. And so what Paul is doing is he's making this connection for us that spiritual realities create physical change. And helping us understand that Jesus comes not just as the one who saves our soul, but as the one who saves our bodies, which includes our minds. It's, it's reaffirming the picture we see all through the scriptures of he is the God of heaven and the God of earth. And everything he does here makes a difference in how we live here. Because one day there will be new heavens and new earth and we will live in perfected bodies with perfected minds and a perfect experience of creation with God and with each other. But until that time comes, we are going to continue to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord in response to what he's done for us. So, so one important thing to notice there, we are not offering sacrifices to earn God's approval. That's already been accomplished for us. Jesus was the perfect and final sacrifice. There's nothing left for you to do to take your standing as a son or daughter of God except to embrace it and to walk in it. But then Paul does kind of give us this image of now that you have received the mercy of God, you need to actively sacrifice yourself as a form of worship to the Lord. And so, so he is preparing us for what he's going to tell us here in verse 2 in a minute, that basically when you come to Jesus, you're coming out of this old dead way of life, and you're coming into the living and better way. And because of that, there's going to be some remnants of this old life that still try to hold on to you, that still try to shape your thinking, that still try to guide your actions. And your response every time you encounter those is, I'm going to choose to offer myself as a living sacrifice to the Lord. 
when it's physically uncomfortable, I will be a sacrifice to him. When it means I've got to spend my time differently, I will be a sacrifice to him. When he calls me to invest my energy or my money or, or to, to allow him into my relationships, in all of these spaces, I will sacrifice what I naturally want or desire and instead offer it to the Lord as an act of worship. Paul's painting the picture of the, the Old Testament sacrificial system where animals were offered as sacrifices for sin, as, as objects of worship and all these things. The difference is they didn't participate in the process. And those animals were just chosen and placed on the altar. And what Paul is telling us is in view of God's mercy, now that we have received him, now that we are the sons and daughters of God, the only natural response we have is to offer ourselves back as a sacrifice to Jesus. Saying, Lord, you can have all of me, you can work in every space. I want your kingdom to come in every single place, in every single relationship. I'm not going to hold anything back from you. I don't want any of this old way of life to come with me. I want the fullness of life that Jesus has for me. And so what's, what's really interesting to me is as you read there in Romans 12, 1, this invitation from Paul to offer yourself as a sacrifice. You would think as a religious leader as someone who grew up with the very strict sacrificial system of Judaism, with very clear guidelines for what was righteous behavior and what was not righteous behavior, you would think when Paul says, now offer yourselves as living sacrifices, that he would then jump into a list of righteous activities you and I should be engaged in. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. And then you expect Paul to say, give your money, give your time, sacrifice your old way of life, all of these types of things. But he doesn't. Instead, in verse 2, what Paul tells us is the very first place we're going to sacrifice as a form of worship is in our mind. He tells us in verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, the, the reason Paul starts here is because he understands and is trying to help us understand the idea that all of our life flows from our thoughts. Jenny Allen is a, an author. She wrote a book called Get Out of Your Head, and in it she says, our thoughts dictate our beliefs, which dictate our actions, which form our habits, which compose the sum of our lives. As we think, so we live. And what, what she says is basically making the point that Paul makes in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that God starts in your mind because it's the, you know, it's, it, it, mind and heart are used interchangeably in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, we're told that the, the heart is the wellspring of life, that everything flows out of it. And so what Paul is trying to help us understand is after he's, he's made these grand statements in Romans 1 through 11 of who Jesus is and what Jesus does, the first application he wants us to make is you need to let Jesus work in your mind. What's in your head matters because that's the place that guides every other part of your life. And so that mind transformation, he, he gives us a, a couple of things that we want to pay attention to. First of all, he tells us, do not conform to the patterns of the world. So that idea of being conformed is, uh, think of it like being poured into a mold. He's saying, don't be poured into the mold. Now, if you're under, I don't know, maybe 30, you might, you might have never had this experience. But for those of us who are a bit older, some of us grew up in homes where there was no ice maker in the freezer. 
And when there was no ice maker, and some of us are like, what do you, I still have that refrigerator. Well, fix your ice maker already, right? Because I, I, do they even sell that? Maybe they do. I don't know. I, I grew up in a home where, where I remember we had the, the ice trays. Okay? Anybody have those, the ice trays? Anybody have the ice man that delivered ice to your house? Just checking to see where, where you know, we're multi-generational, so we, everybody's welcome. Um, so, so the ice trays, oh, it, was this, it was this really, you know, just very simple little plastic tray, and you poured the water in, and then you put them in. There was no more frustrating experience in the world, though, to go, and you heard your sibling as they cracked the ice tray, and they dumped it in the, the little container, and then you heard them as they scooped out every single piece of ice, and they put it in their cup, and then you went for a drink later, and not only had they used all the ice, they hadn't refilled a single tray. And now you knew there was no hope of a cold drink in your house for at least four hours because you had to wait for it to freeze again. But what you learned with the ice cube tray is there's a mold. And depending on the mold, it, it depended, it, what am I trying to say? The mold shaped the water into the, the form of ice that you would have. So most of us, it was just the little square ones. Maybe you had some fun ones. Maybe you had a fun mom that got some Christmas tree ice, uh, you know, around Christmas or pumpkin ice or some of those kind of things. But what we knew was once the ice was in the mold and it was placed in the freezer, then it came out in that shape. So this is what Paul is trying to tell us. He's saying, look, your mind is shaped by the world in which you live. And not only is it shaped, but it, it actually takes on that shape in some pretty defined ways. And so before you come to Christ, whether that happened as a child or as an adult, your mind was already in the process of being conformed to the world in which you were born. So you were, you were conformed by the country you were born. You were conformed by the part of the country you were born in. You're conformed by your family. You're conformed by the, the particular subcultures in which you lived. You're conformed by the, the media that you consume, by the political stances that you take. You're conformed by all of your entertainment choices. You're conformed by the people around you. You're conformed by the trauma that occurs to you. You're conformed by the successes that you've had. In all of these ways, your mind has been shaped to think certain ways about certain things at certain times. And so what Paul is telling us is, look, your mind is going to be formed, but do not be conformed, he says, to the patterns of of the world. When your mind is shaped by the world, you adopt the patterns of the world. And when you adopt the patterns of the world, you will act like the world. And when you act like the world, you'll reap the results of the world. And that's the space where most of us spend our time and energy when we come to, fo to follow Jesus, where we say, I'm waiting for Jesus to change the end results of my life. I'm waiting for him to change my relationships with others. I'm waiting for him to get rid of all of these destructive choices that I make. What Paul is trying to help us do is back up to the beginning and say, no, no, before he changes out here, I have to let him change in here. He has to completely change it. So, so maybe this will help you think of a, a little bit more what Paul's telling us. My, my grandpa had a farm out in western Oklahoma. Uh, my dad grew up on it. It's where we went for holidays when I was a kid. And he, uh, my grandpa was determined that all 16 of his grandkids would know how to drive a stick shift. So he, he would take us out in the pasture, and he had this old uh, 1971 Ford pickup that the brakes barely worked on. Uh, it was kind of green, mostly rust, but he called it Old Greenie. And so we would go out in the pasture, and we'd get an Old Greenie, and he would teach us to drive. Now, we weren't free to just drive wherever we wanted, but we had to follow the paths that he had all through the different pastures that he had. 
So some pastures he would run cattle, some he would grow wheat. Uh, wheat. Um, somebody told me in first service, your grandpa was a weed farmer? <laughs> grandpa was a wheat farmer. Uh, but his truck was old greeny, so I could see the confusion maybe that would have occurred in their mind. So, uh, so he would tell us, like, hey, you've got to follow the path. Because in, in some pastures, there'd be cattle grazing, and so we couldn't just go plowing through the middle. Again, the brakes didn't really work. In other pastures, he would have wheat that was planted, and he would let us know, you've got to follow the path. I've, you know, I've got to harvest that later. It's got to grow. So we knew when you drove, you followed the path, and there were a few spots as you would drive around the farm where the, the path would dip down into a little ditch. And in that ditch, there were some well-worn ruts. Because those ditches would fill with water every time it would rain, and, and he would still go check his cattle, and so he would drive through them. And what he would do is he would drive through in almost the same way every time, again and again and again. Well, as a, you know, a, a 9, 10, 11-year-old driving this truck, it made you a little nervous of, I can barely see over the steering wheel, I know the brakes don't work, and there's mud down there. And Grandpa would tell us, hey, as you're going down, just stay on the gas as we go in it. And then as we go in it, hold on to the wheel, but, but kind of loosen your grip just a little bit. Because what's going to happen is you're going to get into that mud, and the truck's going to find the ruts. And you just keep on the gas, and it's going to push you all the way through it. And it's gonna, you're going to kind of move back and forth, but you just stay in it, and you'll get out the other side. And so it, it really kind of painted this picture for me as I was reading through Romans chapter 12, which it might be the most redneck explanation of do not conform to the patterns of the world, you know, so... It was. I mean, I was definitely out there in a tank top and shorts, and, you know, I didn't have a mullet, but I wanted one. Uh, and and that, was, that was our experience of, hey, if you stay in the rut, you come out in the right way. Now, it was positive there, but what Paul is telling us is if you're still conformed to the patterns of the world, you're going to keep thinking in that way, you're going to keep speaking in that way, you're going to keep acting that way, and you're going to keep getting the same results. But because of who Jesus is and what he has done, your first act of offering yourself as a living sacrifice in true and proper worship is to come to the Lord and say, will you break out these molds and patterns that I've adopted? Will you reveal to me every destructive lie that I'm believing? Will you show me that just because this is the way I was raised is not the way that maybe you want me to be? Will you reveal the places in my culture where everybody does this, but you're calling me to live in a different way? And, and for some of us, the frustration we feel in our walk with the Lord is that we're giving all of our attention to God change my behavior and no attention to Lord change my mind. So what Paul is trying to do is back us up to the very beginning. And he says, look, the key is to be transformed. And so he says, do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When Jesus comes and offers himself as a sacrifice, when he invites us into new life with him, it's not to make you a slightly better or more religious version of yourself. It is to transform you from death to life, from darkness to light, completely different than who you used to be. I mean, there might be some similarities. If we still recognize you, you still sound the same, you still do some of the same things, but there is an underlying transformation that is obvious to the world around you. And, and so what, it, what that means when it comes to our mind is you have some well-worn paths in your mind. You have some patterns of thought and behavior that, that literally have worn grooves into your brain. 
And this is the way you think. And when these things happen, this is how you respond. And when you feel threatened, this is what you do. And what Paul says is Jesus came not just to manage those, not just to keep you from acting on them, but literally to rewire your brain in these spaces so you don't keep doing the same old things, the same old ways, and getting the same old results. And if we're honest, we will all say, I need that. I need that, right? I mean, I know in my life, there, there are areas where the enemy attacks in my mind. He attacks with insecurity. He attacks with a, with a short temper when things don't go my way. And it, as a kid, that short temper, my mom, she rode me all the time about my temper, right? And, and I always felt like, if I didn't have these siblings, I wouldn't have this temper, they're just, they just, I was a second born of four, and they all had it out for me, and I was innocent and kind, and they would just come at me, right, and eventually I would snap, and then when I would snap, I would say things, I would throw things, I would hit people, and there was a response that would then come from my mom, and she would have this talk with me of, this is not God's plan for you, the, whole, the fruit of the Spirit is self control, right? And she would tell me, this is a space where God can work. And so as I've grown up, as I've walked with the Spirit, this is a space where God has worked. It's a space where he has rewired. And yet, there are still times and places and people where some of those old paths, just I fall right back into them. Just as easily as my grandpa's truck found those ruts, if I get deep enough into it, I can find the old rut. And my temper comes out in a quick tongue and harsh words, and it could be an interaction with somebody I love. It could most often be while I'm driving around town, and apparently I'm the only one in town that knows how to drive, right? <laughs> Is there anything worse than somebody pulling out in front of you and immediately driving five miles an hour under the speed limit? <laughs> this last week, I pulled out of the church parking lot. One of our neighbors, who I'm sure God loves and has a plan for, pulled out in front of me. I followed her all the way over to 169, and every time I would change lanes, she would change lanes and slow down. And I sped up, and she sped up. I was just like, Lord, and I pulled up next to her. It was a sweet little grandma. And for a mile, though, I was back in these old ruts of, Lord, I am your righteous instrument of justice. Like, let, you know, it, why? Because when things happen that we're not expecting, we fall into our default patterns of thought, which lead us into these default behaviors. And most of our default behaviors do not honor Jesus. Right? The, the, I, I, don't, I hate to break the news to you, but none of you are natural-born saints. None of you came out of the womb just with a, man, me and Jesus, the only ones born perfect, right? <laughs> me and Jesus, the only ones with, you know, don't have to, like, you have a sin nature, if you don't think you do, just call one of your parents later and say, what was I like when I was two? They'll be like, you were awful. You were terrible. We weren't sure if we were going to be able to keep you, right? Why? Because your sin nature was there, and you were selfish, and you were bratty, and you broke things, and you were unappreciative, and that continued for quite a while, but still those grooves are in there. And still when you're challenged, still when you're confronted, still when you're caught off guard, you fall back into these patterns of behavior. So, so what Paul is telling us is, Look, you're going to be transformed. When you say yes to Jesus, you are transformed. You are made new. Your identity is secure in him. 
You are the son and the daughter of God. He has changed your mind, but some of those old grooves still remain. And then he tells us the answer to those grooves is the renewing of your mind. So, so this is an idea, and I love that word Paul uses, and, and even the tense in which he uses it. Renewing is an ongoing activity. So you are transformed by Jesus. You are made new. You're the son. You're the daughter of God. But in that space, these old habits and patterns still attack. These old ruts still exist. And so the Spirit is now going to come, and Jesus is going to help you renew your mind every day. So it's not going to be enough for you to think, hey, you know, a couple times a year I pray to God, help me with my thoughts. You have 6,000 thoughts a day, which means not all of them are necessarily in need of being renewed. Two plus two is always four. Hot is always hot. Cold is always cold. Red is always red. And so in those spaces, it's not like, Lord, is this true or not? It is. But there's other spaces where you know the enemy's attacking where he's trying to change the way you see someone else. He's trying to change the way you see yourself. He's challenging you with lies about God. He's coming to you with doubts about God's calling in your life. And in that space, it's not proof that you don't belong to Jesus. It's just a space where you need the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to renew your mind. It is never a bad thing to pray, Lord, renew my mind. Because we need it over and over and over again, right? Every 10 seconds, you're having a new thought. And there's a pretty good chance that pretty frequently throughout the day, those thoughts are not good and God-honoring. And so in that space, it's not a sign that you don't belong to Jesus. It's not a sign that the work of the gospel is ineffective. It's an opportunity for you to experience the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in that moment where instead of choosing the old ruts that you've always went down, he instead charts a new path. And as you follow that path over and over and over and over again, he is rewiring your brain and your heart to walk in the path he has for you. So, so let's just say that one of the areas the enemy attacks you most often is lust. And so he comes, right? And I know that would never be any of you, but I've heard it happens to some people. So he comes with lust, and, and it's just that momentary thought of, hey, look at her. Hey, look at him. Hey, wouldn't it be fun if and you know that's that's not where God wants you. And, and so for some of us, the answer is. I gotta stop thinking that. I gotta stop thinking that. I gotta stop thinking that. And we try to put it away and we try to move on with our day. But then you find it comes back later. You find it comes back later. And if you keep dwelling on it, eventually you're going to act on it. And if you act on it, you're gonna bring destruction into your life because it's so clearly the opposite of God's plan. When that temptation of lust occurs, it's not proof that you're not a son or daughter of God who lives and walks in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's simply proof that the enemy wants to kill and destroy you. And it's also a space where God is going to come and he's going to work. So as that lustful thought attacks, instead of trying to hide or run away from it, you're going to face it head on. You're going to say, that is not true. That is not right. That's not who God's created me to be. That's my brother. That's my sister. That's not who, that's not the kind of relationship I would have for them. God has created me with sexual desires. He has given an avenue and outlet for those in marriage. And so if I'm married, that's where I'm going to go. If I'm not married, I'm going to trust him until I am. 
But in the meantime, I'm going to let God renew my mind in this moment. And sometimes he's going to renew your mind by saying, close out the app. Sometimes he's going to renew your mind by saying, turn off the TV. Sometimes he'll renew your mind by saying, walk away from that conversation. In every space, though, he has a plan, and his plan is never just stop it. But it's always, let's also start doing this. Let's chart a new path. Let's make some new grooves. So, so Paul is telling us, be transformed by the continual process of renewing your mind. And then, then he tells us what happens when your mind is renewed. He says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Now, I'm, I'm pretty confident that most of you feel like me. There is no space in my life that I don't want to know and experience God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's what I want in my marriage. That's what I want for my kids. That's what I want in my friendships. That's what I want in my calling and in my job. That's what I want in my health. That's what I want in my finances. That's what I want in every place and everywhere I go is to know and experience the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. But Paul tells us there's a a process to experiencing that, and that process is you're going to test and approve. So again, we've got to put down this idea that if I walk with Jesus, the battlefield of my mind is just going to be a place of peace. The closer you walk with Jesus, the more dedicated the enemy is to destroying you. And he's going to start in your mind. Because you always fight that battle first by yourself. You don't tell everybody else what you think all the time. If you told everyone every thought you ever had, you wouldn't have any friends anymore. Because it'd be like, wow, you are a terrible person. You're disgusting. You're gross. Apparently, you want to kill the whole world. Uh, like, I can't hang out with you anymore. But while they're saying that, they would also know, and that's why I don't tell people everything that's in my head. Because we all have stuff that goes through, and we all fight that battle alone. And what Paul is trying to help us understand is, that's fine. But when those thoughts come, God has a plan and a path for victory, and his path is for you to test and approve. So when those thoughts come, you're going to say, hey, I paid attention to that. Lord, is this from you? And if you spend, sense the, the conviction, the confirmation of the Holy Spirit of yes, it is, then you're going to approve it and you're going to walk that path. And if the thought comes and you're saying, Lord, is this from you? And you sense the Holy Spirit saying, absolutely not. That's in clear contradiction to the scriptures. That is not what I want you to do. Then you're going to reject it and you're going to ask the Lord to replace it. So, so here's kind of what that would look like in practice. Let's say you're married. And let's say we'll just, we'll approach it from the perspective of a wife. And so a wife, you kind of have a, I know you never would, but let's say you have a disagreement with your husband. Let's you down in some way, disappoints you, doesn't do the thing he said he was going to do. And in that space, uh, the enemy comes and he has a plan for your mind. And his plan for your mind in that moment is, you're still married to the same old idiot. It's been 10 years and he's not getting any better. It's been 15 years, and he's worse than he was when you married. It's been 20 years, and the only difference is he's uglier now. Right? It's been, and, and the enemy just comes and starts, starts to tell you these things. And then, then he starts to tell you he's never going to change. He's never going to be any different. It's only going to get worse. You shouldn't stick around for this. Your life isn't going to be any good. And if you don't stop at some point and test, Lord, is this from you? God, are you trying to tell me I have an ugly husband? Lord, are you trying to tell me that I should divorce him and leave him because he forgot to unload the dishwasher? You know, in that space, if you'll just stop and test it, 
it will become abundantly clear. No, that's not what God wants for your marriage. But if you don't, you'll just keep spiraling down. And eventually you'll get down the spiral and you'll start thinking, well, my friend's husband, he doesn't do that. He's always nice to her. He always looks out for her. Well, that guy I work with, he always asks me how I feel and then listens, right? He seems to actually care what I have to say. He affirms my opinions. And, and it didn't start with a, I think I'll wake up today and cheat on my husband. It started with a, I'm a little frustrated, and then it spiraled out of control. But all, Paul says, all you got to do is just stop. Just test it. Lord, is this from you? And he's going to answer clearly. He's going to let you know, yes, it is, or no, it's not. And in that space, he's going to say, no, it's not. The one you have is the one I have for you. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Your husband's going to love you like Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for it. You're going to love your husband. You're going to enjoy a long life together. You're frustrated because you are both sinful people who are trying to be made into one flesh, and that's my plan for you, and the enemy's trying to attack it. So instead of focusing on all the things he's done wrong, like not loading the dishwasher, as huge as that is, instead we're going to focus on all the things he's done right, and he loves you, and he cares for you, and he provides for the family, and he works hard, and he tells you you're beautiful, and he, he, he does all, and, and it, the outcome, it, it literally can take 15 seconds, but one of those is a path of life, and one of those is a path of death, and if we had time, we could go through this in every other way the enemy attacks our minds, but what we want to understand is when we test and approve, God will reveal his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And if he doesn't, then we're just going to stop and we're not going to act in either direction on that thought until he does. Paul's trying to make it very, very clear to us, and, and we'll see this over the coming weeks, of Jesus has a plan for what's in your head. Because your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest and most consistent thoughts. Your relationships are moving in the direction of your strongest and most consistent thoughts. And so Jesus does have a plan. He's working in you. He's trying to lead you into an experience of life. And, and I told you at the beginning, this, this series is not the power of positive thinking. It's not the way to uh, think the right things and get everything you've ever wanted. But instead, it's a, an invitation to let your mind be transformed so no matter what is going on in the circumstances around you, your heart and your soul rest in peace. Because you know, I am known, I'm loved, I'm chosen by God. And even if life is really, really difficult right now, he has a purpose and a plan for me. When we say Jesus has a plan for what's in your head, we mean he has a plan for every thought in your head. For those thoughts of, does anyone see me or know me? He has a plan to come and tell you, yes, they do. You're incredibly valuable and loved. For those thoughts of insecurity, of I I'm never gonna make it and I'm never gonna matter, he has a plan for you to know the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. For those thoughts of grief, of this weight is so heavy and I'm never going to escape from it. Life is going to be a continual, cloudy, depressing experience. He has a, a message of joy will come in the morning. In those broken relationships where you're thinking, my, my whole life it's just been dysfunction and that's all I'm ever going to know. He says, I, I have a path and it's going to lead to life. For those thoughts you have of, will I ever be reconnected with my children? Will I ever be reconnected with my parents? He comes to replace them with, I will turn the hearts of sons to fathers and daughters to mothers where the enemy attacks you with thoughts of, because of what you've done in your past, you will never have any kind of future. Jesus comes and he says, I'm gonna replace that crown of ashes with a crown of joy. And I will give back to you and more what the enemy has stolen from you. 
ultimately, to, to put it very simply, the, the place we're trying to get through is where we can say in every season and situation, it is well. It is well with me because Jesus is with me. And, and I told you, we're, we're trying to replace the soundtrack of our life and our mind. So, so this morning, in just a moment, the band's going to come and we're going to sing that old hymn together, It Is Well. And it's a reminder to us, you know, Satan might come and attack, but that's okay because I'm forgiven and accepted. It's a reminder of life might be really hard and difficult, but I look forward to the return of Christ where I will know him as the one who wipes every tear from my eye. If you, if you don't know the history of that song, it was written by a man named Horatio Spafford. He was a lawyer in Chicago in the, the mid to late 1800s. He had a wife and four kids. And during the, the great Chicago fire, he lost most of what he owned. And he worked to try to rebuild his business, to try to salvage what was left of his life and, and got back to a place of, of some pretty moderate success. About two years after the fire, he and his wife decided, like, like many of us would after a season like that, of it's time for a vacation. And so they decided they were going to go to Europe as a family together. And, and so they, they bought their tickets. They were going to take a ship uh, from the East Coast across to England. And the last minute, some business stuff came up, and Spafford had to stay behind. He sent his wife and four daughters ahead. As they crossed the Atlantic, they made it about halfway through when their ship collided with another ship. The whole thing sunk in 12 minutes, and all four of Spafford's daughters drowned. His wife was pretty miraculously saved, and when she arrived on the coast of England, she telegrammed back, saved alone. What do I do? And Spafford, like, like every husband, he immediately bought a ticket on the next ship that he could get on and jumped on. The captain of the ship happened to know his story, and so as they were crossing the Atlantic, they came to the spot where the, the wreck had occurred, and he called Spafford up to the bridge and let him know, this is the, this is the approximate place where your daughters died. And according to one of Spafford's daughters that he had later in life with his, his wife, it was on that journey to visit his wife who'd lost all of her girls that Spafford sat down and he wrote the words to this hymn that we sing. And there's this little line that we're going to sing right at the very beginning. He says, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. This is what a transformed mind looks like. This is what it means to have your mind renewed by Christ day after day after day. This is what it looks like to be able to test and approve the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God to where even in the midst of sorrow, as you're, you're taking a lonely journey across the ocean to meet your grieving wife while you're mourning the loss of your daughters, even in that space, you know, I don't know the answers. I don't know why it happened. All I know is it's well because Jesus is with me. All I know is there's a peace that passes my understanding. And that peace transforms my heart and it guards my mind. And this is where we want to get to. Again, it's, it's not, I, if I think more positively, I can have more cool stuff. It's if my mind is transformed, I can be at peace in every moment because Jesus is with me. So in seasons of success or seasons of failure, seasons of abundance or seasons of loss, I can say, as Spafford wrote, it is well. And it is not well because of me. It's not well because I've adopted certain mantras that I repeat every day. It's well because the power of the resurrected Christ dwells in me. Because his Holy Spirit leads me and guides me. 
because he sows his fruit even when there is no reason for me to have any good thing in my life. He is my source of peace. He is my source of comfort. He is my source of joy. So if you'll stand with me, I want to pray for you this morning, and then we're going to sing this together. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If you're in a space today where you, you just say, hey, I, I need the Lord to come and work in my mind. I'm fighting some of the same old battles, and I need him to come and bring that transformation and renewal. If that's you, will you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Lord, you see us. You see the way the enemy attacks our minds. You see the old patterns of life and thought and behavior that we've adopted. And Lord, this morning you see the desire for us to get out of them. God, we want our minds to be renewed. We want to experience the power of your spirit flowing from deep within us. And so Lord, I pray today that you would come and remind us of our identity as your sons and your daughters. Jesus, will you come and begin to undo those old patterns of thought and replace them with the truth of who you are and how you're working? Lord, as our minds are renewed, we ask for the ability to test and approve your will in each of these areas. Lord, I pray that you will come and begin to sow, develop, and show the fruit of the Spirit in each of our lives where those thoughts are trying to lead us to destruction, where they're trying to lead us maybe even to self-harm or to suicide. In that place, Lord, may it become a place of love, joy, peace, and patience. In that place, may we know the kindness of God. Lord, may you come and grow the fruit of your spirit in our minds today. And as you do, Lord, we know it will change our behaviors and we know it will change our world. Lord, I pray especially for those who are here today in seasons of grief and loss, of doubt and question. Today, Lord, as we sing this song, may it be an assurance to them that you see them and you know them. And you are walking with them through these hours. Lord, and even in grief, you're renewing their mind. Even in grief, you have a plan for a brighter tomorrow. So Lord, we come to surrender to the power of your spirit, to declare the truth of your scriptures and to let our minds be remade into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.